Welcome to Auto Off Topic. Hello, Brad. Hello, Andrew, and Happy New Year. It's now January of 2022. That's right. And uh, since you're not in my basement during the recording, it means you made it home. We did make it home. Yeah. We'll get Spoiler to that. Spoiler alert. Well, if you've been following you on Instagram, people know That's you true. made it home. That's true. I've been saving a post to put up on the auto off topic page once we recorded this episode just to state that we're be the breakdown of the trip on the episode so yeah put it there but i'll put it there tonight or tomorrow for sure so yeah i'm home car's here i'm here all in one piece good i have a um i have a quick small world mitsubishi story okay i'm in um so i worked at the mitsubishi dealer till like 2013 Yep. And during that time, we did a couple twin clutch transmissions for Evo 10s under warranty. And they basically have you sit on them for like a year and then you throw them away because they wouldn't want you to ship them back because they weigh too much. They're like okay. 250 pounds or something. They're super heavy. Sure. Um, so when I was getting ready to leave, we had one that was, uh, it needed to be thrown away. And I was like, well, I want to take that because it's just going to be thrown away anyways. And I feel like I should save it. Maybe someday I'll own an Evo 10 and maybe I'll need a transmission because they kind of always do on these cars, apparently. Sure. Yeah, not, not a problem. I so I learned something I didn't know. Well, so here's the thing. I, I had it. It's been in my dad's garage for like five years. I've had it for sale for a couple of years as a core because I knew the clutches were bad, but right. the transmission, I didn't so want. So it was a DSG just, style? Not DSG. Yeah, twin clutch. They call, they call it a twin clutch SST. TC okay, SST. SST. That's what it was. Uh, yeah, it uses wet clutches and paddle shifters and it's a pretty cool piece of technology, but, uh, did not age well. So the, um, I grabbed it cause I knew like, all right, somebody's going to need one cause they, they were just starting to rebuild them. And I guess now it's really common to have them rebuilt. Okay. I remember when they easily. first, when they first were out, people were like, you can't rebuild these. You need to throw them away. Yeah. Yeah. They couldn't be rebuilt. They didn't offer it. They didn't even offer the clutch pack separately. Then they finally did. Right. Um, so I had it just on Facebook marketplace and my dad's like, Oh, let's just get rid of it. Cause and I was like, yeah, I was getting ready to throw it away. Cause it's just been sitting there. And nobody, some guy messaged me the other night about it. I was like, well, this guy's in luck <laughs> um, <laughs> and talking to him. And then it's funny. Cause on Facebook marketplace, you can see your, the each person's profile. Of course. So I was like, hey, man, I creeped in your profile. It looks like we know a lot of the same people. And he's like, I did too. <laughs> I was like, all right. So he knows like former guest Alex Grabau. Sure. And his brother and all them. He actually works with them. Oh, okay. Uh, he bought an Evo 10 for like 10 grand, he's telling me. Oh, wow. So it must need some help. Uh, it's the transmission's blown. Okay. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So the transmission's blown. And he's like, yeah. The one I have in it, the splines, the way these are set up. So like in a DSM, you've got the two half shafts go in. Then there's also an output shaft that goes to the transfer case to send the power to the rear. These are set up where one half of the transmission, I forget which side it is now, the transfer case goes over it and then your front half shaft goes into it for whatever side it is, driving or passenger side. I forget which way they're orientated. And the part of the it's like this compound splines and the part of the splines that drive the rear transfer case through having probably too much power or launching the car or whatever strip 
and he was like, oh, I'm more, he's like, are those like good? I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure they're good. And I looked at it. I was like, send him a picture. They're like, totally good. Like, I'm like, the car didn't come in for that. Car came in for clutches. Like, that's why I'm selling this as a core. Right. He's like, yeah, so I got to send it. He's got to send it out to Jack's transmission in Colorado. Uh, it's going to cost him like six grand just to have the thing rebuilt. Oof. It's crazy, right? Yeah, so no longer 10 grand. No longer a good deal. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So then he's telling me that the, if you can find NOS ones, Mitsubishi no longer sells them. Somebody bought up all the stock. And if you can find them for sale from certain places that have them, they're asking fourteen dollars to $16,000 for a transmission. Jesus Christ. It's insane, right? So basically, so if you've got an MR, money. the transmission lets go. You just it's the car's totaled. Yeah, you throw it, it away. You have it rebuilt. Which was always the thing for me. The rally arts have the twin clutch. That's the only option they had. They did not have a manual transmission option. Right. Um, those were twenty five thousand dollars cars, and at the time, the the list price in the transmission was ten thousand dollars. So it was like half the price of the car. It was crazy. That's insanity. Are I wonder if people. I wonder if people are converting them to manuals, like a GSR manual. I haven't. Well, I haven't been in Evo tens in so long. Two two things are 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 those manufactured by Mitsubishi the transmissions, or are they like a ZF or? A... I think it's. Uh, he said the gear set is Gitrog. Gitrog, okay. Uh, then maybe it's a ZF. I thought it was a ZF, but maybe it's a whole Gitrog unit. I've got okay. information on it somewhere. When I when I had my car, I had all the paperwork and stuff. All the all the facts about the car. There's some, it's somewhere in storage. I mean, there's gotta the be boxes. like, like there's gotta be a way to do like a backyard rebuild on them. I mean, it's just mechanical parts, right? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's maybe if you're good I enough, mean, it's, it's like, well, all these, all these years removed, you can buy all the parts to rebuild a transmission for a DSM still to this day. And no. You can well, yeah, you can make it work. You can technically it's, rebuild it in your yard, right? You not anymore. You can't buy the stuff anymore. Okay. If you can find the parts, you can put it together in your yard. Uh, in theory, if you know how to do it. I mean, at the end it's of the not... day, everything is just parts. It's not like there's a specialized machine required here. It's it's not, but building transmission is a little different. You got to know the Oh, I know. It's not. Yeah. It's, and all this it's, stuff. it's not something you want to tackle, you know, as an amateur, amateur it's, mechanic, it's but more so, cost effective, oh, wow. honestly, to send it to like uh, TRE is still doing DSM transmissions. Okay. Um, it, I know our, our buddy Tony Bird just got his back from there. Um, spent some money on it, but it's like that's kind of the way you got to do it. Wow! Unfortunately, it's just the easy way. It's the it's the best way to do it because they they can source all the stuff and they'll just do it and they have all the parts. Plus, they'll like clean the case, do all the shot peening and all that good stuff. Like, it's kind of worth it. It's, it's really just crazy it. to think about a transmission costing as much as a car. That's why I never wanted a 10 MR. Right. That's why I bought the GSR, because I thought if I had kept the car, it had a basic manual transmission. Right. Nothing complicated. <clears throat> so, Also, you know, as a purist vehicle, it's more a purist vehicle. So, oof. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's an insane amount of money. I'm glad you were able to help this guy out, but I still can't imagine paying $6,000 to rebuild the transmission. Although, I guess... <sighs> If you rewind back to like the year 2000, I probably paid three grand to get one done then, right? Yeah, it's the same. It's so the same place years, that does all the 22 GTR years later and stuff. Yeah. Um, same idea, but it's all because it's all like wet clutches. It's like a motorcycle. It's a little more complicated than just a regular manual transmission. Yeah. So you got to figure somebody's got all the specialized stuff to do it. 
And again, it's I guess, something you want to do more than once. It also weighs like 250 pounds. So to put it in and out of the car is not fun. I'm, I'm thinking, like I said, 22 years later, I guess with inflation and everything, if it was three grand then and it's five or six now, that probably makes sense, I guess. They are. A DSM transmission yeah. is like five grand. Have a good one. Which is insane because people still try to claim that a good DSM is worth five grand. Yeah. Even though they're obviously wrong. Yeah. So I do wow. need to, at some point, I have. I need to get one of my transmissions out to just to have it done so it's done before the parts dry up. Just for a spare? Just to have it done. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes sense to have a spare, especially if you intend on keeping the car for a long time, which is, I, I'm assuming you do, to have a spare that's ready to go. Yeah, the Glant one is a stage one Shep, um, so it's pretty good, especially if you're not... The, way, the real way to make them last is to not drag race them. Yeah, which, hey, no problem. We don't drag race. So, no. and, and even, yeah, because once you're track driving them, it's not as bad. Once you're moving, it's it's mm-hmm. a hard launch. That's what kills them. Yeah, we've all seen videos of DSMs and Galants blowing up at the Christmas tree at the drag strip. So, not uncommon. So, so anyway, yeah, just a funny thing that I was holding on to this one thing. and uh, There you go. Yeah. Not really worth it to hold on to it because it was really heavy and took up some space. But well, again, like the point you made, if you ever wound up with one of these cars, you would have had it, but you didn't. And now you know you probably never will because it's kind of out of your radar now. So you might as well move it on to somebody who does need it. Yeah, I don't really. I'd buy another GSR. I would not buy an MR. Yeah, you know, I haven't really followed the market of Evo 10s. Have they come down in price at all? Or are they still 25 grand? I bet they're not as much as a. Evo before it, even though they're a really good car. Yeah, I just I haven't followed the market much because it's kind of always been like I don't necessarily want one, even though they make a very good daily because they're nice cars, so like, like legitimately nice cars to drive. I saw one not that long ago out driving. I was like, man, I haven't actually seen one on the road in a while. Well, the kid I used to work with over there at the body shop uh, still has his white one. He must put it away for the winter because I haven't seen he, it. He does. He does. Yeah. But I mean, he had it in the in the fall. I think I saw it when I was there, whenever I was there in August or I guess summer, not fall. Uh, so it looks like. Uh, yeah, they're less money than the comparable eight or nine. So I just pulled up real fast on cars and bids while we're sitting here. And there's a regular. <laughs> oh, no, nope, that's that's an MR. With sixty six thousand miles for time tw- twenty one grand. It's a time bomb. Yeah, I'm looking for a non. Well, here's an here's a regular X, but only has seventeen thousand miles, and that went for twenty nine grand. <laughs> but that's because of the miles, though. I mean, that's, yeah, that's what they were brand new, which is kind that's of that's why I paid for mine. Yeah. Uh, yeah here, that's another crazy thing, right? So i I got my GSR for like under thirty. Yeah. It was like twenty nine thousand dollars. That was a yeah. lot of car for twenty nine thousand. That's that's I paid twenty eight five for my Evo eight. Yeah, which was insane when you think back about it because that car stickered for thirty four, right? Yeah. I bought the car had a couple of miles on it. It was like used, not used, like it had been titled in like the six thousand miles or nine thousand miles. 3, I had, it had less than six thousand. I think it was three or four thousand miles. It was titled in the dealership owner's name. Because he had bought it as a demo, or he, he took it a demo and bought it himself. Um, and then when the nine came out, 
or the MR came out, excuse me, 8MR. He traded it back into his own dealership and bought an MR. So the car had like no miles on it. So you think back to that time period. So the car was like six months old, right? I paid twenty nine grand for a $34,000 car. That's the way the car market always had been. This day and age in an enthusiast car, that car would be sticker plus still even used. Yeah. Super weird and annoying. Like it's the reason I bought the car because, you know, like 35, 36 is what loaded ones are going for when I bought the car. And at 29, I could afford it at like, you know, another five grand would have put it out of my budget at the time. So it's like I scored luckily on the car, but you couldn't even do that in 2021, 2022, whatever year we're in now. Because the way the car market is, is so strange. Like an enthusiast car, first of all, to buy it off the mark, off the dealership, you wouldn't be able to buy a car without a dealer markup, which wasn't even a thing then. You know what I mean? Mm. Like nobody was doing automatic dealer markup on these performance cars. They were just, no, it was a sticker price was it. The Ford GT was the only thing I ever saw with a dealer markup. I remember, I remember the GTO when it first came out did. So that was the same year as the Lancer. I think that was 03. Um, but that was it. And that was like an American car manufacturer. But it's like, well, they're going to screw over their customers and they're never coming back. And you know what? Guess who's gone? Pontiac. So, <laughs> but there had never been one that I had heard of prior to that car. And even then we're talking like, you know, 1500 over sticker. Like it wasn't today's cars where you see these Civic Type R's, which are a $50,000 car with a $20,000 markup. Yeah. Or did you, even did when... you see what? The Ram uh, TRXs are marked up right now. Are they like fifty grand over or something? Yeah, they're fifty thousand dollars over sticker. That's another Ram. And That's like, like a Ram uh, TRX plus a fifteen hundred. The uh, well, even the WRX came out in O two, wasn't marked up. Mm-mm. That was a pretty hot car. Yeah, O two, O three, O four, because our friend Keith bought the car that you had, you know, and he got like money off the sticker in O four on it. Yeah. So Weird. it's it's crazy to think about how much the car market has changed and. What even allowed it to do that? I don't, because it predates this chip shortage that we're in now. It's making prices ridiculous, but it it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. I don't, and I don't know why consumers accept it. Why why go buy the car? Like, just tell the does anybody no. actually buy it with a markup? Yeah, people do. I know a lot of cars that have been on the market with a markup, and that's part of the reason that the used car market for enthusiast cars is so ridiculous and why, you know, a used uh, Civic Type R still is worth over what sticker price was new because nobody paid sticker price for them. Hmm. You know, I know our, our friend Ron bought a Civic Type R and he had to go like three states away to get one with a reasonable markup on it because all the places here in Phoenix wanted twenty twenty five thousand $25,000 markup on a $50,000 car when for $25,000, you should be able to buy that Civic Type R and a base model Civic, not just the Civic Type R. So it's it's a weird, it's a weird thing. And if all the dealers are doing it, it feels sort of illegal. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, you can search hard and find a place in like Nebraska that doesn't have that markup, you know. So, and it's not only just enthusiast cars anymore. It's it's moved on to anything new. So I know I've been looking. You know. Oh, so I, what are they doing? Like a. Uh... Like, market correction, market correction, yeah, like not availability charge or something. Yeah, they call it ADMU, and that's you know, if it's automatic dealer markup. Um, because I've been looking at 
seriously, not seriously, considering picking up a uh, new Ford Maverick to replace Naomi's Hyundai. Yeah. Um, Hyundai, excuse me. Hyundai Sunday, Hyundai Sunday. I, I always say Hyundai because it's how it's spelled. That's how I remember how to spell it. Hyundai. But no, it's Hyundai. It's not Hyundai. So um, if you go back, I had this, you know, uh, hey to my father here. We'll, we'll, we'll call him out um, because he corrected me on this. I always called it Hyundai. And he said, no, it's Hyundai. And I said, not a chance. And he said, I was wrong. And we found the proof, which is the old commercials from when they were first imported into the States in like 1984-85. Their commercial was le- legitimately the tagline in the commercial was Hyundai like Sunday. Ah, okay. So, yeah, he proved he proved me right. He, sorry, he proved me wrong. He was definitely correct on that one. So. We'll, uh, we'll give him credit for that. But Hyundai is how it's actually pronounced. I obviously don't remember those commercials because in that era, I was like five years old. But anyway, Hyundai. Yeah. Take anyway, that, so, Dad. Take yeah. it. You're old. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, I wasn't even calling him old. But, you know, his son is 40. So you do the math. Um, anyway, we've been considering getting one of those new Ford Mavericks for her as a replacement for her Hyundai because her Hyundai is about to turn, you know, 225,000 miles and it's just, it's a 2011. It's just old and it's starting to, it's showing its mileage, you know, 225,000 miles is a lot for any car. Um, especially, you know, a Hyundai. It's not, it's not a Mercedes, right? It's, it's not a 1989 Mercedes. It's, it's a 2011 Hyundai. So we're, we're considering buying one of those new Mavericks, but even those which are not enthusiast vehicles by any means, are being marked up five to 10 grand. So you get a car at stickers for 20 grand. You get a few options that you want. It's like, you know, 23, five, and then they want 30 grand for it. Yeah. Why would I, why would I buy that for 30 grand for 30 grand? I can buy a base model F one fifty almost like what, what are we doing here? Yeah. It's annoying. Cause it's yeah. like, I feel like Ford would say to his dealers, like, please don't do that. So we can actually sell these cars. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. So obviously, you know, we're going to wait a little bit and see what the market does over the next few years. Hopefully they still have the $20,000 base model in three or four years from now. You know, what's interesting is um, the only time I've seen one, it's the security vehicle at the fancy outdoor mall near here. Oh, really? They got a new one? Yeah. Like, that's weird. I didn't even know they were out. And it's just like a, it's like a beat up security vehicle already. That's crazy. So in driving across country, we saw three of them. So they're definitely they're definitely on the road. I've seen a couple of Santa Cruises. I I don't like the Santa Cruz no, at yeah, all. The Maverick's way better. Looking. Yeah, the Maverick is a much much better vehicle, and pricing wise, like it's a much better option. You know, twenty thousand dollars buys you the four cylinder hybrid or the base model EcoBoost. So, I I read uh, some people are getting four hundred miles of range on a hybrid with that car. Yeah, that's crazy. So, but that's, that's the one we'd be going with. If we bought one, we'd be buying the hybrid, but it, it's, it's like I said, it's one of those things that we're, we're considering it. We may do it. We may not do it. it you know, it's all really depending on her commute. If we wind up going with a full electric car, like a used e-golf, or if we go with that, because if she winds up back at the office every day, we want to get her a full electric car so that she can go in the, you know, HOV lanes here. They're just like in California. If you have a full electric vehicle, you can use the. HOV lane as a single single driver. Ah. So 
it would make sense if she goes back to the office full time to get the the e-golf. If she doesn't, then we'd be looking at these Mavericks because they kind of fit our lifestyle. So they're not a big truck, but we also like to do a lot of camping and stuff. So they're perfect for that. Put your bike in it. Definitely put her bicycle in it because she rides her bicycle all all the time. She's not riding her bicycle right now. So... It would definitely make more sense to have a pickup truck than a Hyundai. Put my bike in it. Yes, I got your forty-year-old version reference, but that was a PT Cruiser in that movie, though. So we will not, <laughs> we will not be buying a PT Cruiser. So it's almost shameful enough that her mom drives a PT Cruiser that we don't need another one. But anyway, so yeah, I don't remember where this topic came from. Oh yeah, Evo X transmission. Yeah. That was a long haul from that part of the conversation. There we go. Yeah. Way. Yeah, I said a little topic. short story, but turned into a long story. 25 minutes later. Anyway. Yeah. So uh, what's uh, what's new in your world news of automobiles, Andrew? Anything good you've been uh, looking up, reading into? Um, not really. It's I uh, have a, it's... I have a story I was reading earlier today. Yeah. Um, that kind of um, has come and gone already today. I Actually, now that I say it, I just saw another article that disproves it. So I guess I probably shouldn't bring it up. All right. I, I was sent a link earlier today that said that Hyundai, speaking of Hyundai, uh, was ending all gas engine development. But Hyundai just released a statement saying that that's false and they're not. So never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Scratch all of that. I, I mean, don't have GM's, news anymore. GM's got a bunch of EVs coming out. So they do. Actually, they, they just announced their new Chevy Silverado EV. And Equinox. I didn't say the Equinox, but nobody cares about an Equinox. No, it's a lot better looking than the old Equinox. Is it? It's more well, like a squat kind of five door coupe. Did you see this? Uh, five door hatch oh that's not too bad then yeah did you see the specs on the silverado one silverado ev i know it's good so it's gonna be the first production vehicle with 24 inch tires i know that yeah also they're ridiculous looking it's it's really dumb looking like i don't know why you'd want that like just trucks need sidewall yeah you do truck stuff yeah you definitely don't so here's the thing they already screwed up. I fully expected them to because they've been doing terrible things lately. Um, they didn't make it look like a Silverado. It's different from the normal pickup truck. Oh, I didn't know. So that's where Ford is going to win. Well, how do you know they're not going to make their new Silverado look like that Silverado? They're definitely not. It's a super futuristic looking truck. And supposedly it's the production-based model. It's almost like they look at Rivian and they're like, we better make it look like a Rivian. Wow, Rivians are pretty good looking. They are. This is not. So it has like an avalanche style bed. So it's a single bed cab situation. It's not a separate bed. So it's like a, a suburban without a without a back, just like a an avalanche was. Oh, yeah. So People are like, why don't they call it the avalanche Yeah, the avalanche. <laughs> so it's... Yeah, it's basically an avalanche with an electric motor, but it's based on the new Hummer EV platform. Which yeah, it's the roller skate. 
but what I'm what we were told about the Hummer is that it's nine thousand pounds, and it's as wide as an H one. So is this vehicle going to be the same? I don't know. It it's. I think they already screwed up because they made it not look like the regular pickup truck, which is where Ford excelled, and they gave it twenty four inch wheels, which is ridiculous. And they made it a single body truck without a separate cab, so it looks like a. I don't know, an, an avalanche, for lack of a better description. It looks like a brand new avalanche. So it in my my prediction is that the Ford will outsell it immensely because it's it's a truck. Well, and this, that's and history, right? <laughs> sure. The F-150 is always outsold. Everything. Sure. But I think that it will be a huge difference between the two because this thing here looks kind of like a Hyundai Santa Cruz versus a uh, hmm. a pickup truck. And I, I just I think that's going to be an issue. I don't know. It's it's that conversation we've had before where we don't know why electric uh, car manufacturers are making their electric cars look futuristic instead of just making normal cars that look that are electric that look like normal cars. You know. I mean, I get that you're you're trying to push some element of modernity, modernity, modernity. Modern. Nope. I, I thought I could modernity. say it, but I couldn't either. Modernity. Sure. Yeah. Wow. Sure. But, but like the problem is eventually everything that looks too future becomes retro futurism and it looks bad. You know, it looks like something that belonged in 1985's version of the future and back to the future. Yeah. It doesn't great. look like the actual time of now. So I don't know. I don't I don't I don't like it. That's my opinion. That's what we're here for is to give opinions, right? So I think they made some poor styling choices. It doesn't have a grill. You know, it's, uh, it's just. I'm going to sit here and be grumpy. I, I'm, I am open to electric cars. We've discussed this, you know, ad nauseum in the past. But I, I'm open to electric cars that seem like cars, not that seem like something from a, 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 a hopeful look into the future that's not actually the future. So. Anyway. I drove a car across country. You did. Um, yeah. It wasn't I, electric. No. Um, I have a quick project car update before you get into all that, though. Oh, okay. Carry on. Yeah, I just threw a uh, coolant Q. temp sensor in the Q45. Mm-hmm. Seemed to uh, solve quite a few issues, so. Yeah. I mean... You and I both are very experienced with coolant temp sensors coming from the world of Mitsubishi's. They control everything. You know, every every fuel delivery function goes through that computer that gets a signal from that coolant temp sensor, correct? And I'm sure that car's yeah. the same. So if it's stuck open or closed and it thinks the car is too hot or too cold, it will I think never... it was intermittently failing because sometimes it would be fine, sometimes it wouldn't. Okay. Um condenser fan would trip when it was 30 degrees outside right uh thinking the car was overheating when you just started up so doesn't do that now um i think it was a combination of maybe it was doing that and it got parked and then the gas went bad so it was like the two things combining to make it feel pretty terrible but now it drives pretty nice so now this car is uh, almost perfect yeah I think it. I think the cold really exacerbated the front struts. 
because all of a sudden they're like super rattly. Like I know I notice them all the time now. Hmm. I did definitely did not notice them in the hot weather. No, I I rode in the car with you back in August and it was solid and tight. Didn't make any weird noises at all. No. So now I can definitely hear the fronts. Well, that's no big deal. You already have the parts. So I, yeah, I have them. I'm just waiting on the. Um, again, the bump stops are like back ordered from Japan, so I want to use the original ones and not aftermarket ones. It's funny. People keep talking about supply chain issues and how car parts are hard to get right now, but that's the beauty of old cars. They're not making the parts anymore, so everything I'm buying is just sitting on a shelf somewhere. <laughs> yeah, um, you know what's crazy is that they made the G50 President for so long. A yep. lot of the part, a lot of the mechanical parts are available. Okay, they just have to come from Japan. Like, I'm still looking for a marker light. I'm, I might send it to the the Perfection Plastics person, see if he can plastic weld it back together. Because cannot find one anywhere. No, I've looked a few times too. It's not available. Um, it's not only available from the dealer. It's not only available overseas because they actually had a different nose. Well. They had a couple they, different. They kind of had, yeah, they had a, several different nose. They did have this American nose, but they also had different. It's like they're not, it's weird. Yeah. And I found a set of the aftermarket ones on Bayi, but it wouldn't let me bid on them. Because the word in the description was junk. I don't know. They were like brand new. It was weird. So that's that's my frustration with trying to use Bayi and some of those other sites is that if the part is listed as junk, it will not let you bid on it. The problem yes. being there's some word that translates from used into junk when you use an automatic translator. So some stuff that's not junk is hard to purchase because it's used. Yeah. So I don't know if there's a workaround on that. If anybody knows it, we'd certainly uh, like yeah, to I have it. that out. Yeah, because um, I've, I've had that same issue. I tried to bet a set of wheels once and they were in like really nice condition. And by E would lo- not let me bid on them because the word either used or pre-owned or something translated into junk. So couldn't buy them. It's weird because on eBay too, like somebody must have parted out a couple of these cars. Literally everything is available except for this passion aside marker. Yep. Maybe it was a wreck or something in the front. Um, and then what else? No, I'm blanking. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. I mean, the coolant tent sensor was, like, accessible but inaccessible. Correct. You could see it, but you couldn't quite get a socket on it. Yeah, I bought... So I ended up spending more money on tools than the actual part to repair it. I mean, that's per normal. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's fine because the tools I bought are just universal tools that will just be reused. The expensive ones are ones that I would use again. Mm -hmm. So now I have some medium-height sockets. Yes, I've got short, shorts, tall, medium, medium, and tall. Yep. <laughs> and I've got some nice wobble extensions that are you have like the, all gear wrench stuff. You have the Goldilocks of sockets now. These yeah. ones were just right. <laughs> well, I had to get a 19 millimeter um, strut nut socket so that you can tighten and torque the strut nut and hold it with a hex key. Okay. It's like half of the socket is missing. And it's chopped out. So let me just turn it just enough to spin that sensor out. Yeah, I think that I've seen similar ones used for fuel injectors. Or something. Yeah, I actually, 
I wasn't sure if this one was going to work. So just in case I ordered a set for like fuel injectors, yeah, probably for like diesel fuel injectors. So I have a set of those now too. It's a very similar set. It looks like a <laughs> socket, almost like with a window cut out of it. Yeah. I think it's probably the best way to describe it. Yeah. But it allows you to get down on top of the socket. Sorry. On top of the sensor. Because your, your issue was you couldn't get the socket on the sensor because the intake manifold was in the way. Correct. Yeah. So this yeah, allowed it to sit down on top of the sensor and then the intake manifold sat like inside the window of the socket. Yeah, exactly. And, and I just wild. gave it, I needed a half a turn Yep. and it broke free and that was it. Yep. Cause then you do it by thing. hand after that. Yeah. So, I mean, thankfully that socket wasn't like a hundred dollars, so it's not a big deal. It was like 20 bucks. Yeah. But the sensor was 20 bucks. I'll say it literally doubled the cost of the project, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah. So, but at least and it's then, done. Uh, it runs good. That's all that matters. Yeah, and then I noticed that the valve cover gaskets are leaking. I got out of it as I smelled oil. I was like, hmm. I like open the hood and I look. And literally, like as I looked into the driver's side, like a drop of oil like dropped onto the exhaust manifold, and I just got a puff of blue smoke right in my face. I was like, oh, Oops. that's obvious. But is that an intake manifold off job? Mm, it doesn't seem like it. Okay, well, that'd be good, because if it was an intake manifold off job... I'd be really annoyed. And you had to remove the intake manifold anyway. <laughs> It'd be super annoying. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look like it. Okay. Although the gaskets are, even though they're aftermarket ones, they aren't cheap, which is kind of annoying. No. It's like $100 in gaskets. Yikes. Yeah. That sucks. But whatever, it is what it is. It's I'll all making the car perfect. I'll do that. <laughs> it's going to be nice when the car is 100% done and like 100% perfect. Just to have like what's essentially going to be an almost brand new Q. You know, basically. Like, yeah, it's it's kind of where I'm excited right now with the Saab as well. Like when everything's all said and done, it's going to be almost like a brand new car. You know, it's not going to be an old beater at all. It's going to be a nice vehicle and it will be sold, unfortunately, but I don't need it. So I'm going to use it until I don't need it and then let it go. So. Yeah, that's good. It's good news that car is still running perfectly, or it's running perfectly now, because we were a little confused by the issues in the past. But I remember my first real run-in with a coolant temp sensor. Do you remember when I first got the white Starion? Yeah, it wouldn't idle. It would not idle until it was warmed up. And I remember bringing it to the rally camping trip. Like that year I got it, was that 2008 or nine? Yeah. And I remember it sputtering and skipping when I first started in the cold morning and uh, everybody making fun of me and thinking I wasn't going to make it home, but knowing that it was just when it started. So that was the same issue that was solved by replacing the coolant temp sensor because the car thought it was already up to temperature when you first started the car in the morning. So it would just dump fuel into it and dump so much fuel into it that it would cut spark and it would sputter and skip until it actually warmed up and it was the right fuel mixture. So that's one of those little tiny things. that's a single wire sensor that messes up everything. So we well, usually these use are two wires for that thing. <clears throat> okay. Two wire sensor. You're probably right. But the, over the, over the, the gauge Montero, is one wire, right? Yeah. One of the gauges is one wire. When I got the Montero, yeah. it was bad too. Yeah. It's very common on the Mitsubishi. So I have a, sp- I have two spare ones in my toolbox here because it's the same part number from, the 70, late 70s all the way through the early 2000s. So I've replaced the OEM one and the Glock twice. Mm-hmm. I've done the Sapporo one and I've done every Starion one I've ever had. And like I said, I, I have them 
in stock all at all times. So yeah, I got the one for the Q45. I got was a uh, NTK. So I was okay. like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy a nice one that I know is probably the original manufacturer. Sure. If it's it's either Denso or that. Yep. Yeah, I've uh, I've always bought the Mitsubishi coolant temp sensors because they're cheap enough and available still. MD six nine zero. Nope, I forget now. Well, they used them in everything, so yeah, no, they're the same for every car, so they're easy to get, and they're like fifteen dollars. So I have tons of, I have two of them on, on hand at all times. So anyway, yeah, I'm uh, I'm glad to hear that car is running good. You still have it, so you might as well enjoy it and use it, right? Yeah. So it's good to go. Be a neat, uh, nice weather wintertime driver. Yeah, I've been driving around because it's not going to snow till tonight. So good. He does seats work. Yeah, it's probably an enjoyable car to drive. I do wish the heated seats worked in the Saab. It's one thing I have to try to fix. One of them does, one of them doesn't. We'll get there. Yeah, so how was that? How was driving a car that you just had fixed? I mean, you've done this 10 times already in different cars, so. Yeah, so this is the third cross-country trip in a, we'll call it, rad-era vehicle. So I've done it in the Sapporo, I've done it in the Eclipse, and now I've done it in the Saab. This was probably the one that made me the most nervous. So, um, unknown fact to our listeners, I uh, am a uh, ball of anxiety a lot of times when it comes to uh, taking cars long distances, even though you would think I'd be really good at it because I do it all the time. But I still stress out immensely. Um, I think the most stressed I was was the first time in the Sapporo. And then in the eclipse, I remember being at your house like the day before leaving, being like, I'll probably die in Kentucky. Um, and then not wanting to go and you and Bradley pushing me to go. Uh, and this time here, it was probably worse than both of those times. Simply because this car, I never really drove it. I purchased this car in 2015. I think 2015, maybe 2016 for a life situation that is no longer in my life. Um, I never drove it then. Then it was used and abused for a few months without any, uh, for lack of a better word, supervision from me. And obviously somebody who's not into cars and is also not into taking care of anything at that time in their moment in life isn't going to take good care of something. And then I got the car back. What was that? 2017, Andrew, early in 2017. Um, And it had been left parked outside with all the windows down and the sunroof open in the rain. So there was a lot of abuse that happened to this car and I never drove it. I did get it back. Actually short version of a long story. I had to pay a, uh, towing an impound fee to get it back. Uh, so I did that and put the windows up, closed the sunroof. And I really never touched the car again until two months ago. It's probably accurate, right? I think so. Yeah. I, I, uh, I towed it from my house that I used to live in when I sold that to a storage garage 
And then when I moved out here, I got rid of that storage garage and I towed it to my parents' house with the intention of selling it. Uh, I'd had an issue with the brakes that we've talked about before. Uh, I tried to blow it out for super cheap, $1,000, buy it, fix the brakes, have a nice car. Nobody ever bought it. We went over it last week. I paid somebody to go through the car. I paid a good chunk of change to get four new brakes, rotors. So that's four new calipers, four new rotors, new axle, new battery, uh, a couple other things. I think we covered the issue when I took it out for its first test drive when the fuel tank straps fell out of the car because they rotted away. Um, we got that taken care of. So come Friday morning, we were ready to leave. Now, our intention was to leave at like 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning and head straight through to Indiana that night because that would make our second day's drive to our second destination like 10 or 11 hours. So we planned on getting dinner with a couple of friends that we had not seen in a while. Um, they went to their place for dinner and decided we'd crash on their couch and leave straight from their house rather than try to like run all over the place. So we packed the car up Thursday went to their place for dinner and at about quarter of two in the morning when uh, our mutual friend Joe asked me if I wanted another beer, I realized that we were not leaving at two or 3 a.m. So I screwed up the trip on day one. That being said, I think the fact that I went out to, I went up there and ate dinner and had some drinks with them before we left that uh, it kind of took some of the nerves away from me and Naomi because we had like a good time before we left. So it was like, well, it is what it is. We've already screwed up. How much worse can it get? So we left and on day one, uh, we left about 7.30 a.m., which is five and a half hours behind where we wanted to be. So at that point, we knew we were not going to make it to Indiana. Uh, we actually only made it to Dublin, Ohio which was a solid 12 hour drive. That's still pretty far. Yeah, it was a solid 12 hour drive. We did we did pretty well considering, I think. Um, it's past Cleveland, so I think we did pretty good. So we made it to Dublin, Ohio. Uh, we left, it was kind of sprinkling. Uh, the area we left was in Southern New Hampshire. There was snow cover, there was heavy fog. Um, we drove in the rain for the entire first day. It just rained and rained and rained the whole entire time. Um, couple of issues that I noticed right away. I had a blower motor that had been giving me some issues, but it would work sometimes. Um, by the end of day one, the blower motor did not work at all. I mean, I rode in the car. We went to pick up dinner. It was like a hot breath. Yeah, but I could get it if I opened the hood and I punched the top of the cowl where the resistor is. I could get it to blow on level three and level one. But by the end of day one, that had stopped. So the other concerning issue, actually, nope, that was day two. So I'll hold off on that. So anyway, once the car is at full temperature with the defroster on and the blower motor off and you're at speed on the highway, there's enough air moving to keep the windshield clear. And the heat in the car is so goddamn hot that you actually have to turn it off because you get baked out of the car, even with no blower motor. So it's a very efficient heating system. So that was good. Um, 
actually, I skipped a whole thing of what happened. We did not talk about this last week. Tires. Oh, yeah. So while we were doing the tire swap, sorry, the fuel tank strap swap in your garage, Naomi went ahead and ordered tires because I was inspecting the tires and realized that they were kind of dry rotted on the inside edges. And I didn't want to do 3,000 miles on old dry rotted tires. 15 inch tires are fairly cheap. Figured it'd be an easy fix, right? So she looked up the factory size, which was a 215-65-15. Found them on a tire rack. They showed four in stock in Connecticut. That's next day delivery. Perfect. They were Bridgestones, I think. They were like $75 a piece, which is super cheap for a name brand tire, right? Fast forward to Friday morning. Sorry, Thursday morning. We're planning to pack the car up and go. Um, We haven't heard about a delivery time for the tires. So at about 10 o'clock, she called Tire Rack. And they said, oh, they will not be there today. Two of them will be there tomorrow, midday. Now, we were planning on leaving at this point at like 2 or 3 a.m. on Friday. So midday doesn't work. And especially when it's only two of them. So now we panicked a little. Um, my father's friend owns the um, Salem BP service station, and he does tires there. So we ran down there real fast and said, hey, real quick, we need some 215 65-15s, four of them. Do you have any in stock, and can you put them on the car this morning? So he called up to his guy, and his guy's like, uh, nope, we don't have them. I was like, all right, well, let's call and find them. So he called all the local tire suppliers. Nobody had 215.65. Sorry, 215.60. I'm screwing the whole story up. Sorry. The correct tire size is 215.60.15. The thing is, they're 16s. No, they're 15s. Oh, those are 15s? 100%. That's your problem. They're 15s. Yep. They're two no f- modern car uses 15s. They're 215.60.15 is the factory size. Yeah. So, so Q45 was 215 215.65. 15s right so order those online too because nobody nobody has those so we're going back and forth and he's like oh what did tire rack say because he actually is a tire rack installer and he's like we're like oh they said they have them tomorrow and then it turns out they only have two of them tomorrow he goes yeah he goes that's an odd size he goes nobody has it he goes i can get you four two fifteen sixty five fifteens he goes i can have them today and have them on by this you know, early afternoon and get you on your way I was like, well, theoretically, that's what, you know, 5% bigger. It should still fit, right? It would fit fine. Right. So it fits. Um, He did get them. Uh, I'm not thrilled by the tires. They're no longer Bridgestones. They're now like Durals. Um, Which it is what it is. It's it's a name. It's a, what do you call them? A... uh, there's a word they, they call it. It's it's made by somebody as a generic a house brand. brand. House brand, sure. They're, oh, I mean, they're, it's a China tire. It's not a China tire. It's actually produced by Goodyear in a Goodyear factory. After Is learning it? about it. Yeah, Durals are made by Goodyear. Oh, we used to throw them in all the used cars. They were just like... They're super cheap. The town, they're town fair. They're town a, fair tires brand of tires. And that's where they came yeah. from. And I yeah, hate supporting town fair, but it is what it is. So anyway, he managed to get us the four... Dural whatevers, um, which again, I'm not looking for a performance tire. So at the end of the day, I don't care. It's an all season. They're black. They're round. They're 
close enough to the correct size and they're available same day. You know, they were seventy two fifty a piece. So how can I complain, right? Like it is what it is. So we had four brand new Durals put on on Thursday, like late late morning, early afternoon, we got the car back. So they're a little big. Um, they don't rub, but they do look a little big. <laughs> so maybe they're supposed to look that way. I don't know, but they worked. So fast forward back to Ohio now. So we get the four new tires in the car. The blower motor's not working. Is it Ohio like the home of Goodyear too? Well, I, yeah, I'm sure, but I didn't want to drive that first 800 miles on old tires either. So the tires in the car were used when I got it. They were, and that was in 2014 or 15, and they were fairly well worn out um, Blizzaks. So I, you know, as much as I wanted to have a Blizzaks for the cross country drive, it also doesn't make any sense to run Blizzaks for a car that's going to eventually wind up living in Phoenix, right? So the Durals made more sense. It, it turns out they're a super quiet tire. I was very impressed with them. Um, they don't make any road noise at all. They're super round and super true. Uh, the car went down the road way better than it did with the old Blizzaks on it. So it made huge improvements in the driving of the car. So I won't complain. I, I never would have chosen Durals, but they're honestly... They seem to be a pretty good tire. They made it, you know, 3,100 miles or so without without complaint or issue and didn't leak a drop of air. So they uh, did what they were supposed to do um, and they were cheap. So it's good. Whoever buys the car from me will get a nice brand new set of four Dural tires with 4,000 miles or so on them by then. So um, everything else went smooth that first day. Uh, we managed to get the radio working a little bit sometimes. That I knew was broken before we left, so we did stop at Walmart and buy a nice Bluetooth speaker with a suction cup. We were able to. Oh, you didn't it. sing to each other. I mean, we did. I mean, that's what couples do, right? Yeah, you guys sing to each other all the time. I assume the best way to spread holiday cheer is to sing old Nirvana songs while you're driving across country. <laughs> um. So yeah, so we used a Bluetooth speaker, which was. Honestly, Bluetooth speaker technology is so good these days that like the $15 speaker with the, you know, suction cup on it worked just fine driving across country. We were able to listen to podcasts. Shower speaker? Is that what it has a suction cup? Yeah, I I bought a shower speaker on purpose because I wanted a suction cup to the windshield. And then you had to use it in the shower. As a bonus, when I get home, I can put it in the shower. Sure. Um, But the the good thing of it is when you put it in the windshield, I learned this, you know, driving old cars, that if you put a speaker... On the windshield dash area facing the dashboard, the windshield and dash become like an acoustic amplifier almost, and it makes it so you can hear even a quiet speaker in the car pretty well. So anyway, we used to listen to a couple of podcasts and some music driving across country, and it worked out pretty well. So um, so that's Ohio in the first night. So we're a little behind the schedule by about five hours, maybe four or five hours. Uh, we got to Ohio, we checked over the car, you know, I checked all the fluids again, everything seemed fine, hadn't burned any oil, hadn't, transmission fluid level was fine. The only issue, obviously, what we discovered in the garage that Wednesday was that the reservoir for the windshield washer fluid was cracked and would not hold fluid, so that was an issue, but I just stopped for gas every, like, 
200 miles and wash the windshield, so it wasn't too big of a deal. Did uh, the um, the coolant was all right? Because it seemed a little low. We put coolant in it before we left, and I never touched it again the whole rest of the trip. Hmm. So I've driven the car to work twice since then, and uh, I have not had any low coolant at all. So coolant seems totally fine. Um, we'll get to that in a second. Day two, I go to start the car up in the morning, and I get that faint whiff of coolant smell. It's the same smell we had the night that you and I drove the car to pick up dinner. We didn't have it all day driving day one, though, to my knowledge. So it seems like what is happening is somewhere in the car, there is a very small coolant leak. And when you're driving the car and the car is at temperature, there is absolutely no issue with coolant leaking anywhere. When you shut the car off and it cools down, it drips somewhere. So when you start the car back up, it burns off from wherever it is and you smell the coolant until it's gone. But it's a very small amount, not affecting the level in any perceivable way. So I need to do a little digging. Uh, I'm sure, is there a dye you can probably put in there and find out where it's leaking? Yeah. I assume. Yeah, you can. Yeah. So I'll have to put a dye in there and find out where it's leaking because it's a very small leak. But as you and I both know, those kinds of leaks obviously over time develop into a bigger leak. So I need to fix whatever the small coolant leak is. Because like I said, once the car is up to temperature, you do not get a coolant leak at all until the car cools off again. I bet it's the heater core. It could be. Uh, I'm not super stressed out about it because on that car, the heater core is actually under the cowl, under the hood. And it's like, I guess it's like a four hour job tops. Like if you don't know what you're doing, it's a four hour job. So it's all outside the car. No issues at all. I should probably say it's an eight-hour job just to make sure I don't wind up, you know, jinxing myself here. But it's underneath the cowl panel in the same access panel as the blower motor and the resistor, which also I'll be replacing at the same time. So it doesn't really matter, right? So I think that will be a good afternoon's worth of work to fix that. So, uh, so day two, we start driving from Dublin, Ohio. Our goal is to make it to Oklahoma on day two. So from Ohio to Oklahoma, which is a pretty good stint. I think it was 1300 miles, something like 15 or 16 hours. Um, so we left at 4 a.m. just to make sure we could make it there at a reasonable time and not be too tired when we got there. Um, again, we stopped probably more often than normal on these trips. I stopped every 200 miles probably just to do a general check over of the car because I was still at this point nervous about the car making it all the way. Um, so we made it that 1300 miles. I, I have to say the only real issue I had was now caused by the blower motor. We had a pretty good like ice rain, like frozen rain. Man, I live in Phoenix long enough. I forget what it's called. Frozen rain is what it's called. We had a pretty good frozen rainstorm right before we hit Oklahoma. And what was happening was sleet, freezing rain. So it was like, it was almost, it wasn't like sleet because it wasn't in the ground like, like slushy. It was just rain that was like ice. So it was hitting the windshield and only like half the windshield down was clear and half the windshield up was completely frosted over in ice. 
Now, this is a two-part problem. It's because the blower motor wasn't enough to blow the top of the windshield with warm air, and I didn't have washer fluid. So I didn't have, like, a de-icing washer fluid to clean it off with. So for about, I don't know, 150 miles, I just kind of had to duck. Um, actually, I think Naomi was driving at this point, so she just had to kind of duck and look under the ice part of the windshield. But we kept an eye on it. It never got to a point where we couldn't see it all, so we just let it slide. Um, we got to within about two hours of our destination, which is Naomi's sister's house in a small little town called Eric, Oklahoma. I think you've been there as well, correct? Oh, yes. So it's way off, kind of way off the beaten path. But Well, sort of. It's right well, the, off the highway. The 40 goes right through their town, which is good, but then their house is probably another you know, 10 miles or so from there into the the wild like wilderness the <laughs> of Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, anyway, we were about two hours out of there and we had a pretty nasty snowstorm. Uh, visibility was almost zero. People drive like idiots everywhere in the country where there is snow on the ground. Um, I was very glad that we had four brand new tires. That was the only time I wish they were snow tires, but I was okay because there wasn't a huge amount of snow cover on the ground. It was like a blowing snowstorm. Visibility was more the issue than anything else. Um, made it through that. Like it's, it's a sob, so it's designed for that, right? Made it through that. Made it to their house. Again, no real drama. So then we stayed there for an entire day. Day three was the drive from Eric, Oklahoma to Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, we got on the road. Eric, Oklahoma is one of the last towns in Oklahoma on the 40 before you wind up in Texas. We wound up in Texas pretty quickly. We actually stopped for the first time I've ever stopped at the Cadillac Ranch. Have you been there as well? I think you have, right? Yeah. So here's the funny thing is like the Cadillac Ranch is one of those things that like every car guy kind of wants to go to see. Um, If you don't know what it is, it's, I think nine Cadillacs from like 1960 down buried from the probably halfway from the front door to the front bumper underground with a tail yeah. sticking up like a 45 degree angle. And then people go out yeah, there we, with, we talked about it when I went there. Okay. People with spray cans and they spray paint all over mm-hmm. it. It's very similar to car henge that her and I went to a couple of years ago in the Volkswagen in Nebraska. So uh, it's neat. Little sure I also put an on off topic sticker there. Did you? Yeah, I put an auto off topic sticker on the fuel tank of one of the cars or bottom of the trunk, I think, actually. But I'm sure it'll be gone probably already, but it is what it is. It's one of those yeah, things. isn't it crazy how thick the spray paint is? It's insane how thick the spray paint is. It looks like the car's got like moon disc hubcaps that are a foot deep in the middle for some reason, but it's just layers and layers and layers of spray paint. Like you've heard of Fordite, right? Yep. It's like the world's most extreme Fordite. Mm-hmm. Like I, I kind of wanted to go there with a hammer and knock it off and look at it, but that obviously would not be cool. So I did not do that. But it's it's a neat little roadside attraction. We've gone to her sister's house in Oklahoma in the past, you know, the years I've lived here. So probably seven times, six times. You've driven by it. It's right I've driven highway. by it or the highway. I've never stopped. Because the problem is, it's it's like an hour and a half from her sister's house. And when you're driving there to do your weekend or holiday or whatever you're doing there, 
there's like an hour and a half left. And I'm like, no, I don't want to stop now. I just want to get there and take my shoes off and sit on the couch. And then when I'm leaving, I usually leave at like super early a.m. in the morning. So when I drive past, it's still dark because it's 12 hours from Eric, Oklahoma to our house in Phoenix. We like drove to Amarillo just to see what Amarillo was like. Sure. Plus there was a, a decent brewery there, but it was like brand new. Right. It was like 2018, <clears throat> but it was, it was just because there's nothing to do in Eric. There's nothing to do in Eric. Once once you've seen all the t- the attractions the town has to offer, the one house covered in street signs and the stoplight, there's uh, mm-hmm. there's nothing else to do. So I've been there enough. I've seen all these things. <laughs> I need to get out of town. <laughs> but anyway, so we drove past the uh, the Cadillac Ranch, and she's like, "Oh, do you want to stop finally?" And I was like, "No, I just want to go home." And they were driving and driving and driving. I was like, you know what? Once we finally got to it, I was like, you know what? Let's stop there. We have to check this out. I'd never been. I want to go before, like, God forbid, somebody tears it down. I don't get to see it. So let's stop in and check it out. So we, we did. So that was good. Um, other than that, car drove home to Phoenix. Uh, we stopped again. I was still stopping, you know, every 150 to 200 miles just to top the fuel tank off and check all the fluids just because I'm still nervous. Um we made it before dark to Flagstaff, Arizona. You know, stopped at the big overlook on 17, took some pictures. Kept on going, made it home just after dark. And uh, everything was perfect. I I can't compliment this car enough. Like, this car saw five solid years of inactivity. And then... It did, what, 150 shakedown miles in Massachusetts? And then we got in it and drove it across country. And Mm -hmm. I never, in the entire time of this trip, so like 3,100 miles and change over four days, I never added a drop of oil. I never added a drop of transmission fluid. I never added a drop of coolant. It didn't burn anything or use anything. I, I literally have driven the car now to work the past two days as well, which is 30 miles each way. So another 120 miles of use. Actually, what day is today? Thursday. So it's actually 180 miles I've put on the car since I've been home. I checked the, the fluids again when I got home tonight. Not a drop low. So we're talking almost 3,300 miles in a mid-90s turbo car that sat for multiple years. And I never used a drop of any fluid at all. I mean, that's impressive, right? That's pretty good. Yeah, I was my my Volkswagen, my 2013 Volkswagen with less miles on it, driving 3,000 miles across country uses about a half a quart of oil. This didn't use anything. So the car is tight. It's solid. It goes down the road straight. Um, there were a couple of things I've noticed in that 3,000 miles that I need to fix. I've already ordered most of the parts. Uh, the hood struts are blown. I ordered some hood struts. The blend door on the interior does not work. So not the one that does like the the temperature blend door, I should say. So not the one that that directs the air, but the one that does the temperature. Uh, so it's either all or nothing. So you get full hot or vent. There's no in between. Um, so I figured that out already. There's a little, it's got auto climate control and that wasn't working. 
And then I learned that there's a little fan in the dashboard that gets clogged up sometimes. So I found the fan. I pulled the grill off the fan and somebody had shoved a like folded up little tree air freshener inside the fan. So I pulled that out and the fan started spinning, which was weird. Um, It made some weird noises, which is probably why they did that. Uh, So I sprayed a little WD-40 on it and the noises stopped. So that's all better. So now I just got to fix the blend door itself. Um, The headlight switch is on the fritz. Uh, Regardless of whether the headlights are on, off, or on parking lamps, the headlights are just on. So that's easy to fix. That part was used from like 1984 until 2007. It's the same headlight switch from like the Saab 900 all the way through Saab 95. So that's an easy fix. Um, what else is broken in the car? It, the center console lid is, is broken at the hinge. So I got to try to find one of those used. Um, the mirror housing on the driver's side was cracked. I found one of those on eBay for 40 bucks. The headlight washer wiper is missing. So I found one of those on eBay for like $26. Uh, and then that one axle the mechanic could not find, I've already found that's in my living room. So I got to put the new axle on the driver, the passenger side. So, I mean, once all those little issues are fixed, I mean, this car is a, a detail and, you know, photographs away from being a saleable, nice vehicle. So I, I honestly have no complaints. I'm, I'm almost glad nobody bought it for a thousand dollars when I head out the market for a thousand dollars when the brakes were an issue, you know? Because now I have the story. I have this neat car. Um, if we still have it in February, if I, if I don't sell it before then, we're going to take it to Radwood Austin. You know, help build the story of the car a little more. But, I mean, I, I have no complaints about this car. This car just did everything we asked it to do. It never complained. It made it all the way there. Oh, there is one other issue. I do apologize. The dash lights. So below the speedometer is an info center with like a digital readout. And then next to the speedometer are traditional gauges for boost, coolant temp, and fuel level. And every now and again, what will happen is the digital display under the speedometer will blink off and it will go dark. And when that goes dark, the coolant temp gauge goes to zero and the fuel gauge goes to zero. Hit another bump or hit the top of the dashboard, everything blinks back on again. Um, you got to pull the cluster out and it seems like the connections get dirty in the back. The only issue with that is when the temperature gauge drops to zero, it will not run the cooling fan. So while that's at zero, you have no cooling fan going on. Was not an issue driving across country in the middle of winter where we saw like nine degree temperatures, but obviously here in Phoenix in the summertime, a working cooling fan will be essential. So. But that's supposedly easy fix too, so I'm not stressed about it at all. But yeah, it's been a great car. I look forward to either keeping it or selling it or whatever. But it's uh, it'll be a good car for whoever who uses it as a daily next. So good stuff. Cool. That's the trip. I made it home. Oh, it averaged 26 miles a gallon across the country. That's not bad. For a mid-90s 2.3 liter turbo car, uh, that was pretty dang good. Hmm. So that's at like 85 the whole way. 
Mm-hmm. So we'll take it. That's it. That's the car. That's the story. I'm here. Car's here. Life is good. Windows work. Sunroof works. Everything works. Oh, the last episode I mentioned about Bluetooth into a CD changer. Sure. That is a thing. Excellent. It does exist. Excellent. I'm, I'm researching it. Well, let me know because I have the same connection on the 9000. as a uh, old CD changer port in the trunk, but no CD changer. So the Nissan's actually not a round connector. Oh, like okay. a lot of CD changers. It's actually its own like white 12 pin or something. Interesting. Um, but they do make one. It plugs into it. And then I believe it needs, you know, I'm like looking at that, looking at the wiring diagrams. They also make a jumper harness like it because there's some functionality that it needs to see on the other side. But I'll just like plug it in. Then I'll unplug the changer in the back because it doesn't work anyways. Right. But like when you flip it to CD changer, like one of the signals it sends out is like put the antenna down. Because when you turn the radio on, the antenna goes up. But obviously, if you're using the CD changer, you want it down. And you kind of want it down all the time. Like, uh, deployable antennas are cool, but they break really easily. Yep. So I like to keep them down. Like, the Glant has one. This car has one, and it works. And the uh, it's the G20 is the same way. It has one, and it works. So I keep it, try to keep it down. Yeah, so the one in the 9000 works, too. Yeah. Yeah, go out and um, spray some WD-40 on it. Okay. Put it up. Put it down a couple times. With, like, wipe it with a rag as you spray it. That'll help keep it working. Okay. I can do that. Because um, if they jam up, then the wire breaks inside, and it's really annoying. Yep. I replaced a few. Yeah. Sweet. I'll keep me informed of that Bluetooth adapter. That's neat. Yeah. It's a little expensive. It's like 90 bucks. But it works, it works. Yeah, I don't want to put an aftermarket head unit in the Q45. Right. Because it's just not, it won't look right in that car. Yep. And just all I need is a Bluetooth. In the G20, I'll probably just put a Kenwood unit like the ones I have in the Montero. Because it, it's just like a single DIN and it'll just look fine in there. Right. Um. Plus, it doesn't have like a CD change or anything. But, you know. Cool. I think that's an episode, Andrew. I think it is too. And I think uh, we're up on all of the platforms. I haven't checked in a while. I know it was working. We're on Google. I know that. Yep. So if we're on Google and we're on iTunes, then. We're on Amazon Music, Spotify, we're still, we're still Stitcher. Not, we're still not on my player. I gotta find out what's going on there. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. That I can't I I'm I can't I just don't get wrapped up about that because it's we're on all the major platforms. Yep. I can't deal with your third party app. I don't yeah. know what's wrong with it. I don't either. So well, you know what I might have to do? I might have to go in and re subscribe to it and now it's a new RSS feed. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I'll try that. All I know is we're on the all the big names. So, again, Google Music, Apple iTunes, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Spotify. There's a Podbean app, uh, Player FM, TuneIn. 
So you can listen to us on an Alexa if you really want to. But that all works. Excellent. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are getting ready to launch some stuff. Sure. We keep talking about it, so we keep doing it. Keep keep us uh, keep us responsible here. Make us do it. Yeah, I got a whole bunch of diecasts I bought that are finally coming in. So excellent. We're gonna, uh, thinking about doing it. Well, we're gonna do another podcast just so we can talk about diecasts. We don't have to bore. Yep. The people that don't like diecasts. Totally separate. Totally separate. So. Look, look, look for that. Excellent. Um, yeah, follow us on Facebook, Odd Off Topic Podcast, Odd Off Topic on Instagram, Odd Off Topic on Twitter. I am on Twitter, uh, Race and Anger. I'm also on Instagram, Race and Anger. And Brad, where can they find you? TSISS350 on Instagram. Cool. So, as always, keep cars analog, aim for the roses. Yeah.